And the classes, I think we can we better just watch the movies. It's much more fun. But there are a few subplots I think we need to talk about, and it's really、mm, you can think about those things as we are grownups now. So one is Friday the important day, right? Harry and Ron was going to eat breakfast and have the double potions with the Slytherins today. Snape's head of Slytherin house. They say he always favors them. We'll be able to see if it's true. We know that McGonagall never did that, never do those favorite things. Though she was head of Gryffindor, and they hadn't stopped her from giving them a huge pile of homework the day before. And then everyone's getting mails, and Harry didn't get any. Only our good old kind Hagrid's giving posts like, "Dear Harry, I know you get Friday afternoons off, so would you like to come and have a cup of tea with me around three? I want to hear all about your first week. Send us an answer back with Hedwig." So Harry just immediately felt lucky that having tea with Hagrid is something to look forward to. See from the parenting point of view, this is so important for Harry to have. Hagrid's really is so important.、And、at the start of the term banquet, Harry had gotten the idea that Professor Snape disliked him. By the end of the first potions lesson, he knew he'd be wrong. Snape didn't dislike Harry; he hated him. And of course, now we all know Professor Snape. By the time I really liked the speech and all about potion, about the subtle science and exact arts of potion making, just hear this. First of all, he announced, "Oh yes, Harry Potter, our new celebrity." It's just like, please keep your head down, boy. Just don't get cocky. I like that. Educating one one. <laughs> the speech goes as there's a little foolish wand waving here. Many of you will hardly believe this is magic. I don't expect you will really understand the beauty of the softly simmering cauldron with its simmering fumes, the delicate power of liquids that creep through human beings, bewitching the mind, ensnaring the senses. I can teach you. How to bottle fame, brew glory, even stop a death. If you aren't as big a bunch of dunderheads as I usually have to teach. As more silence followed this little speech, Hermione Granger was on the edge of her seat and looked desperately to start proving that she wasn't dunderheads. And we know that Harry had lost two points for Gryffindor in this first week. And then at five to three, Ron wants to come and meet Hagrid with him. They left the castle and made their way across the grounds. I really like this. It just feels like you know after class, and they had somewhere to go, go to Hagrid's. So important. I like how J.K. Rowling just puts these each characters everywhere, and it just makes intense and then relax, intense, relax. This tension, and then food, wonderful. Ah,、oh, just like really well thought. Hagrid's always make yourself home. To the next chapter, the Midnight Jewel. Harry had never believed he would meet a boy. He hated more than Dudley, but that was before he met Draco Malfoy. <laughs> Still, first-year Gryffindors only had potions with the Slytherins, so they didn't have to put up with Malfoy much, or at least they didn't until they spotted a notice pinned up in the Gryffindor common room that made them all groan. Flying lessons would be starting on Thursday, and Gryffindor and Slytherin would be learning together. And the flying lesson, we all know what happened. Harry caught that thing. Harry started to fly and caught that thing in his hand. After a fifty-foot dive, didn't even scratch himself. McGonagall, of course, first punished him, 
and run, and then asked Oliver Wood, the captain of Gryffindor team, "Like I found you a seeker, and I shall speak to Professor Dumbledore and see if we can't bend the first year rule. Heaven knows, we need a better team than last year. Flattened in that last match by Slytherin, I couldn't look Severus Snape in the face for weeks. And Harry learned his father was an excellent Quidditch player himself. Back in the room." Malfoy challenged him for a wizard, Drew. I take you on any time on my own," said Malfoy. "Tonight, if you want, wizard, Drew. Once only, no contact. What's the matter? Never heard of a wizard, Drew, before, I suppose. Of course he has," said Ron, wheeling around. "I'm his second. Who's yours?" When Malfoy had gone, Ron and Harry looked at each other. "What is a wizard, Drew?" said Harry. "And what do you mean you are my second? Well, a second's there to take over if you die." Said Ron casually, getting started at last on his cold pie. Catching the look on Harry's face, he added quickly, "But people only die in puffer juice, you know, with real wizards. The most you and Malfoy will be able to do is send sparks at each other. Neither of you know enough magic to do any real damage, but he expects you to refuse anyway. And what if I wave my wand and nothing happens?" Throw it away and punch him on the nose," Ron suggested. "Excuse me," they both looked up. It was Hermione Granger. "Can't a person eat in peace in this place?" said Ron. Hermione ignored him and spoke to Harry. "I couldn't help overhearing what you and Malfoy were speaking." "Bet you could," Ron muttered. "And you mustn't go wandering around the school at night. Think of the points you will lose, Gryffindor, if you are caught. And you are bound to be. It's really very selfish of you." And it's really none of your business," said Harry. "Goodbye," said Ron. Much later, half past eleven, Ron muttered at last, "We'd better go." They put on their bathrobes, picked up their wands, and crept across the tower room, down the spiral staircase, and into the Gryffindor common room. And here they met Hermione. "You," said Ron furiously, "go back to bed." "I almost told your brother," Hermione snapped. "Percy." He's a perfect. He'd put a stop to this. Harry couldn't believe anyone could be so interfering. Come on, he said to Ron. He pushed open the portrait of the fat lady and climbed through the hole. Hermione wasn't going to give up that easily, and she followed. So don't you care about Gryffindor? Do you only care about yourself? I don't want Slytherin to win the House Cup, and you will lose all the points I got from Professor McGonagall for knowing about swishing spells. Go away! All right, but I warned you. You just remember what I said when you're on the train home tomorrow. You're so. But what they were, they didn't find out. Hermione had turned to the portrait of the fat lady to go back inside and found herself facing an empty painting. The fat lady had gone on a nighttime visit, and Hermione was locked out of the Gryffindor Tower. Now what am I going to do? She asked shrilly. That's your problem," said Ron. "We've got to go. We're going to be late." They hadn't even reached the end of the corridor when Hermione caught up with them. "I'm coming with you," she said. "You're not." Do you think I'm going to stand out here and wait for Felch to catch me? If he finds all three of us, I will tell him the truth—that I'm trying to stop you, and you can back me up. You've got some nerves," said Ron loudly. "Shut up, both of you," said Harry sharply. "I heard something. It was a sort of sniffling." "Mrs. Norris," breathed Ron, squinting through the dark. "It wasn't Mrs. Norris. It was Neville." 
He was curled up on the floor, fast asleep, but jerked suddenly awake as they crept nearer. Thank goodness you found me! I've been out here for hours. I couldn't remember the new passwords to get into bed. Shush! Keep your voice down, Neville. The passwords pig snorts, but it won't help you now. The fat lady's gone off somewhere. So the four of them went together, but obviously later we find out Malfoy tricked him. So Hermione said to Harry, "You realize that, don't you? He was never going to meet you." Felch knew someone was going to be in the trophy room. Malfoy must have tipped him off, and the four of them trying to escape from Felch and Mrs. Norris, and they're just running around to meet the mischievous Peeves, and Peeves almost got them caught. They could hear footsteps. Felch running as fast as he could towards shouts. Oh, move over! Hermione snarled. She grabbed Harry's wand, tapped the lock, and whispered, "Alohomora." The lock clicked and the door swung open. They piled through it, shut it quickly, and pressed their ears against it, listening. Which way did they go, Peeves? Felch was saying. Quick, tell me. Say please. Don't mess with me, Peeves. Now where did they go? So Peeves didn't give them away, and Harry turned around and saw quite clearly what, for a moment, he was sure he'd walked into a nightmare. This was too much on top of everything that had happened so far. They weren't in a room as he had supposed. They were in a corridor, the Forbidden Corridor, on the third floor. And now they knew why it was forbidden. They were looking straight into the eyes of a monstrous dog. A dog that filled the whole space between ceiling and floor. It had three heads, three pair of rolling mad eyes, three noses twinging and quivering in their direction, three drooling mouths, saliva hanging in slippery ropes from yellowish fans. It was standing quite still, all six eyes staring at them. And Harry knew that the only reason they weren't already dead was that their sudden appearance had taken it by surprise, and it was quickly getting over that there was no mistaking what those thunderous growls meant. Harry groped for the doorknob between Felch and Death. He take Felch. They fell backward. Harry slammed the door shut, and they run. They almost flew back down the corridor. Felch must have hurried off to look for them somewhere else because they didn't see him anywhere. But they hardly cared. All they wanted to do was put as much space as possible between them and that monster. They didn't stop running until they reached the portrait of the fat lady on the seventh floor. Where on earth have you all been? She asked, looking at their bathrobes hanging off their shoulders and their flushed, sweaty faces. Never mind that. Pigs not, pigs not, pants Harry. And the portrait swung forward. They scrambled into the common room and collapsed, trembling into armchairs. It was a while before any of them said anything. Neville, indeed, looked as if he'd never speak again. What do you think they are doing, keeping a thing like that locked up in a school? Said Ron. Finally, if any dog needs exercise, that one does. Hermione had got both her breath and her bad temper back again. You don't use your eyes, any of you, do you? She snapped. Didn't you see what it was standing on that floor? Harry suggested. I wasn't looking at its feet. I was too busy with its head. No, not the floor. It was standing on the trapdoor. It's obviously guarding something. She stood up, glaring at them. I hope. And this is the classic line. There we go. I hope you're pleased with yourselves. We could all have been killed or worse, expelled.
Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Actually, in the movie, I think she said, the, "If you don't mind, I'm going to bed first." So, so in the movie, it's like, "If you don't mind, I'm going to bed." I hope you are pleased with yourselves. We could all have been killed, or worse, expelled. And Ron stared after his mouth wide open. And I think in the movie, Ron says something. This one needs to sort the priority out herself. Something like that. Well, reading the book and pick up the lines is fun, no? We can do that more often. Smart Harry put one on one together. It looked as though Harry had found out where the grumpy little package from Vault Seven Hundred and Thirteen was. Next chapter. Halloween. It's titled Halloween, and that's why we are doing this right now, like for this season. It's better to call it just Quidditch. I think the main takeaway is the rules here. If you're a first-time reader and you now finally know the famous Quidditch game, and it opens with Malfoy, couldn't believe his eyes when he saw that Harry and Ron were still at Hogwarts the next day, <laughs> looking tired but perfectly cheerful. Harry and Ron discuss the package, but neither Neville nor Hermione show the slightest interest in what lay underneath the dog and the trap door. All Neville cared about was never going near the dog again. Hermione was now refusing to speak to Harry and Ron, but she was such a bossy know-it-all that they saw this as an added bonus. All they really wanted now was a way to get back at Malfoy. Then Harry gets the Nimbus Two Thousand from McGonagall. Malfoy's super jealous, and then. Potter's been sent a broomstick, Professor," said Malfoy quickly. "Yes, yes, that's right," said Professor Flitwick, beaming at Harry. "Professor McGonagall told me all about the special circumstances, Potter. And what model is it?" "A Nimbus two thousand, sir," said Harry, fighting not to laugh at the look of horror on Malfoy's face. "And it's really thanks to Malfoy here that I've got it," he added. Harry and Ron headed upstairs, smothering their laughter at Malfoy's obvious rage and confusion. Well, it's true. If he hadn't stolen Neville's remember, I wouldn't be on the team. So, I suppose you think that's a reward for breaking rules? Came an angry voice from just behind them. Hermione was there. I thought you weren't speaking to us," said Harry. "Yes, don't stop now. <laughs> It's doing us so much good," said Ron. Hermione munched away with her nose in the air. So, shall we go to the Quidditch games? I call this section Quidditch Game Explained by Oliver Wood, the captain of Gryffindor team. Wood opened the crate. Inside were four different sized balls. <laughs> Right," said Wood. "Now Quidditch is easy enough to understand, even if it's not too easy to play. There are seven players on each side. Three of them are called chasers. Three chasers." Harry repeated as Wood took out a bright red ball about the size of a soccer ball. "This ball's called the quiffle," said Wood. "The chasers throw the quiffle to each other and try and get it through one of the hoops to score a goal. Ten points every time the quiffle goes through one of the hoops." Follow me. The chasers threw the quiffle and put it through the hoops to score. Harry recited. So, that's sort of like basketball on broomsticks with six hoops, isn't it? What's basketball? Said Wood curiously. Never mind. Said Harry quickly. Now, there's another player on each side who's called the keeper. I'm a keeper for Gryffindor. I have to fly around our hoops and stop the other team from scoring. Three chasers, one keeper," said Harry, who was determined to remember it all. And they play with the quiffle. Okay, got that. So what are they for? He pointed at three balls left inside the box. I'll show you now," said Wood. "Take this." He handed Harry a small club, a bit like a baseball bat. I'm going to show you what the bludgers do," Wood says. "These two are the bludgers." 
He showed Harry two identical balls, jet black and slightly smaller than the red quiffle. Harry noticed that they seemed to be straining to escape the straps holding them inside the box. Stand back, Wood warned Harry. He bent down and freed one of the bludgers. At once, the black ball rose high in the air and then pelted straight at Harry's face. Harry swung at it with the bat to stop it from breaking his nose and sent it zigzagging away into the air. It zoomed around their heads and then shot at Wood, who dived on top of it and managed to pin it to the ground. See? Wood panted, forcing the struggling bludger back into the crate and strapping it down safely. The bludger rocked around, trying to knock players off their brooms. That's why you have two beaters on each team. The Weasley twins are ours. It's their job to protect their side from the bludgers and try and knock them down towards the other team. So, think you've got all that? Three chasers try and score with the quiffle. The keeper guards the goalposts. The beaters keep the bludgers away from their team. Harry wheeled off. Very good, said Wood. Uh, have the bludgers ever killed anyone? Harry asked, hoping he sounded offhand. Never at Hogwarts. We've had a couple of broken jobs, but nothing worse than that. Now, the last member of the team is the seeker. That's you. And you don't have to worry about the quiffle or the bludgers. Unless they crack my head open. Don't worry. The... The Weasleys are more than a match for the bludgers. I mean, they're like a pair of human bludgers themselves. Wood reached into the crate and took out a fourth and last ball. Compared with the quiffle and the bludgers, it was tiny, about the size of a large walnut. It was bright gold and had little fluttering silver wings. This, said Wood, is a golden snitch, and it's the most important ball of the lot. It's very hard to catch because it's so fast and difficult to see. It's the seeker's job to catch it. You've got to wave in and out of the chasers, beaters, bludgers, and quiffle to get it before the other team's seeker. Because whichever seeker catches a snitch wins his team an extra 150 points. So they nearly always win. That's why seekers got fouled so much. A game of Quidditch only ends when a snitch is caught. So it can go on for ages. I think the record is three months. They had to keep bringing on substitutes so the players could get some sleep. Well, that's it. Any questions? Harry shook his head. He understood what he had to do all right. It was doing it. That was going to be the problem. We won't practice with the snitch yet, said Wood, carefully shutting it back inside the crit. It's too dark. We might lose it. Let's try you out with a few of these. He put a bag of ordinary golf balls out of his pockets, and a few minutes later, he and Harry were up in the air, Wood throwing the golf balls as hard as he could in every direction for Harry to catch. Harry didn't miss a single one, and Wood was delighted. Time flies. On Halloween morning, they woke to the delicious smell of baking pumpkin wafting through the corridors. Even better, Professor Flitwick announced in charms that he thought they were ready to start making objects flying, something they had all been dying to try since they'd seen him making Devil's Toad zoom around the classroom. They were put into pairs to practice. Harry's partner was Seamus Finnegan, which was a relief because Neville had been trying to catch his eye. Ron, however, was to be working with Hermione Granger. It was hard to tell whether Ron or Hermione was angrier about this. She hadn't spoken to either of them since the day Harry's broomstick had arrived. Wingardium Leviosa. Stop, stop, stop. You're going to take someone's eye out. 
Besides, you're saying it wrong. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. You do it then if you're so clever. Go on, go on. Wingardium Leviosa. Wingardium Leviosa. Another classic line, isn't it? You do it then if you're so clever. Everyone's <laughs> so cute. And actually in the book, it was like this. So you are saying it wrong. Harry heard Hermione snap. It's Wingardium Leviosa. Making the gar nice and long. So it's the gar is the problem. But in the movie, I think it's the osa or Leviosa is the problem. So that's the emphasis on the O or Sa, but both are hilarious. And then Ron heard Hermione's feelings here. Ron was in a very bad mood by the end of the class. It's no wonder no one can stand her, he said to Harry as they pushed their way into the crowded corridor. She's such a nightmare. Oh no, she's a nightmare, honestly. Someone knocked into Harry as they hurried past him. This sentence is like, someone knocked into Harry as they hurried past him. It was Hermione. Harry caught a glimpse of her face and was startled to see that she was in tears. I think she heard you. So, said Ron, but he looked a bit uncomfortable. She must have noticed she's got no friends. Hermione didn't turn up for the next class and wasn't seen all afternoon. On their way down the Great Hall for the Halloween feast, Harry and Ron overheard Poverty Patel telling her friend Lavender that Hermione was crying in the girls' bathroom and wanted to be left alone. Ron looked still more awkward at this, but a moment later, where the Halloween decorations put Hermione out of their minds. Boys will be boys. <laughs> a thousand life bats fluttered from the walls and ceilings while a thousand more swept over the tables in low black clouds, making the candles in the pumpkin stutter. The feast appeared suddenly on the golden plates as it had at the start of a term banquet. Well, we all know what happens in this. Trolls! <laughs> so Harry was just helping himself to a baked potato when Professor Crow came sprinting into the hall, his turban askew and terror on his face. Everyone stared as he reached Professor Dumbledore's chair, slumped against the table and gasped. Troll! In the dungeons, saw you ought to know. He then sank to the floor in a dead faint. There was an uproar. Please refer to the movies. Oh, but this side when Ron and Harry worried about Hermione is worth reading. That's how they bond. So, uh, they pass different groups of people, hurrying in different directions. Uh, they jostled their way through a crowd of confused Hufflepuffs. Harry suddenly grabbed Ron's arm. I've just thought, Hermione, what about her? She doesn't know about the troll. Ron bit his lip. Oh, all right. He snapped, but Percy'd better not see us. Ducking down, they joined the Hufflepuffs going the other way, slipped down a deserted side corridor and hurried off towards the girls' bathroom. They had just turned the corner when they heard quick footsteps behind them. Percy! The whole thing was something very children's movie and harry did something very brave and very stupid at the same time and it was wrong came in and saved the day with his wingardium leviosa and the club flew suddenly out of the troll's hands rose high high up in the air turned slowly over and dropped 
With a sickening crack onto its owner's head, the troll swayed on the spot and then fell flat on its face with a thud that made the whole room tremble. And Hermione was like, "Is it dead?" I don't think so," said Harry. "I think it's just been knocked out." And then Professor McGonagall was in here, and they were all in trouble. And Snape gave Harry a swift, piercing look. And Harry looked at the floor. He wished Ron would put his wand down. Hermione was like, with his small voice, like, "Please, Professor McGonagall, they were looking for me, Miss Granger." Hermione had managed to get to her feet at last. I went looking for the troll because I, I thought I could deal with it on my own, you know, because I've read all about them. Ron dropped his wand. Hermione Granger telling a downright lie to the teacher, so they were surprised. If they hadn't found me, I'd be dead now. Harry stuck his wand up its nose, and Ron knocked it out with its own club. They didn't have time to come and fetch anyone. It was about to finish me off when they arrived. Well, in that case," said Professor McGonagall, staring at the three of them. "Miss Granger, you foolish girl! How could you think of tackling a mountain tall on your own?" Hermione hung her head. Harry was speechless. Hermione was the last person to do anything against the rules, and here she was pretending she had to get them out of trouble. It was as if Snape had started handing out sweets. Miss Granger, five points will be taken from Gryffindor for this. Said Professor McGonagall, "I'm very disappointed in you. If you are not hurt at all, you'd better get off to Gryffindor Tower. Students are finishing the feast in their houses." Hermione laughed, and then, well, I still say you were lucky, but not many first years could have taken on a full-grown mountain troll. You each win Gryffindor five points. Professor Dumbledore will be informed of this. You may go. But from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friends. There are something you can't share without ending up liking each other, and knocking out twelve-foot mountain troll is one of them. Here is to every time I found something. It reminds me how funny Jackie Rowling is. Here. It was really lucky that Harry now had Hermione as a friend. He didn't know how he had gotten through all his homework without her. What with all the last-minute Quidditch practice, Wood was making them do. She had also lent him Quidditch through the ages, which turned out to be a very interesting read. Harry learned that there were seven hundred ways of committing a Quidditch foul, and that all of them had happened during a World Cup match in fourteen seventy-three. That seekers were usually the smallest and fastest players, and that most serious Quidditch accidents seemed to happen to them. That although people really die playing Quidditch, referees had been known to vanish and turn up months later in the Sahara Desert. I was like, what? Hermione had become a bit more relaxed about breaking rules since Harry and Ron had saved her from the mountain troll, and she was much nicer for it. The day before Harry's first Quidditch match, the three of them were out in the freezing courtyards during break, and she had conjured them up a bright blue fire that could be carried around in a jam jar. They were standing with their backs to it, getting warm, when Snape crossed the yard. Harry noticed at once that Snape was limping. Harry, Ron, and Hermione moved closer together to block the fire from view. They were sure it wouldn't be allowed. I was like, blue fire. So what? But anyway, Snape was like, "What's that you've got there, Potter?" It was Quidditch through the ages. Harry showed him. Library books are not to be taken outside the school. Give it to me. 
five points from Gryffindor. Well, so he definitely made that up. Just made that rule up, Harry muttered angrily as Snape limped away. Wonder what's wrong with his leg. See, we think the same. I was just like, well, you made that up, right? When Harry tried to get his book back, and he saw something horrible, and I was laughing so hard. Snape and Felch were inside alone, but Snape was holding his robes above his knees. One of his legs was bloody and mangled. Felch was handing Snape bandages. Blasted thing! Snape was saying, "How are you supposed to keep your eyes on all three heads at once?" And Harry tried to shut the door quietly, but but and Snape's face was twisted with fury as he dropped his robes quickly to hide his leg. Harry gulped. Get out! Out! Harry left before Snape could take any more points from Gryffindor. He sprinted back upstairs. Did you get it? What's the matter? Ron said. In a low whisper, Harry told them what he'd seen. He tried to get past that three-headed dog at Halloween. That's where he was going when we saw him. He's after whatever it's guarding, and I'd bet my broomstick he let that troll in to make a diversion. Hermione's eyes were wide. No, he wouldn't. I know he's not very nice, but he wouldn't try and steal something Dumbledore was keeping safe. Honestly, Hermione. You think all teachers are saints or something? I'm always Harry. I wouldn't put anything past Snape. And what's he after? What's that dog guarding? Harry went to bed with his head buzzing with the same question. Neville was snoring loudly, but Harry couldn't sleep. He tried to empty his mind. He needed to sleep. He had to. He had his first Quidditch match in a few hours. But the expression on Snape's face when Harry had seen his leg wasn't easy to forget. A little bit too young to feel insomniac, and、uh, next morning he couldn't even eat anything. And he's got a big match coming up. And Hermione was like, "You've got to eat some breakfast. I don't want anything. Just a bit of toast." Widowed Hermione, widowed. Hermione now would widow, just like Laura. Harry felt terrible. In an hour's time. He'd be walking onto the field. Okay, let's switch to some sense of humor, shall we? On the Quidditch pitch, and there are banters like "Potter for President." Hermione had performed a tricky little charm so that the paint flashed different colors. So they painted a large Gryffindor line underneath that, and Hermione made it Twinkie. Meanwhile, in the locker room, here Wood cleared his throat for silence. Mm-hmm. Okay, man," he said. "And the women," said Chaser Angelina Johnson. Angelina Jolie. AJ couldn't help but made that connection. Anyway, and the women would agree. This is it, the big one," said Fred Weasley. "The one we've all been waiting for," said George. "We know Oliver's speech by heart. We were on the team last year." "Shut up, you two," said Wood. "This is the best team Gryffindors had in years. We're going to win. I know it." He glared at them all as if to say, "All else." Right, it's time. Good luck, all of you. I would skip the whole part. Just refer to the movies. It was well done,、uh, but I just want to appreciate those words.、Uh, listen, Madame Hooch, as referee, gave a loud blast on her silver whistle. Fifteen brooms rose up high, high into the air. They were off. All these are from the commentator, and the quaffle is taken immediately by Angela Johnson of Gryffindor. What an excellent chaser that girl is, and rather attractive too. Jordan, sorry, Professor. The Weasley twins' friend Lee Jordan was doing the commentary for the match, closely watched by Professor McGonagall, and she's really belting along up there. 
a neat pass to Alicia Spinett, a good find of Oliver Woods. Last year, only a reserve. Back to Jordan, and no, the Slytherins have taken the quaffle. Slytherin captain Marcus Flint gains the quaffle, and off he goes. Flint flying like an eagle up there. He's going to no, stopped by an excellent move by Gryffindor keep. Woods and the Gryffindors take the quaffle. That's Chaser Katie Bell of Gryffindor. There, nice dive around Flint, off up the field, and ouch! That must have hurt. Hit in the back of the head by a bludger. Quaffle taken by the Slytherins. That's Adrian Pusey speeding off towards the goalposts, but he's blocked by a second bludger. <laughs> Sent his way by Fred. Or George Weasley? Can't tell which. Nice play by the Gryffindor beater, anyway. And Johnson back in possession of the quaffle. A clear field ahead, and off she goes. She's really flying. Dodges a speeding bludger. The goalposts ahead. Come on now, Angelina. Keeper Bletchley dives, misses. Gryffindor score. See, it's really good. Like I said, Harry Potter is really well written. Couldn't help but keep reading. So when he saw the snitch, Harry saw it. In a great rush of excitement, he dived downwards after a streak of gold. Slithering seeker Terence Hicks had seen it too. Neck and neck, they hurtled towards the snitch. All the chasers seemed to have forgotten what they were supposed to be doing, and they hung in midair to watch. Harry was faster than Higgs. He could see the little round ball, wings fluttering, darting up ahead. He put on an extra spurt of speed. Whoop! A roar of rage echoed from the Gryffindors below. Marcus Flint has blocked Harry on purpose, and Harry's broom sprung off course. Harry holding on for dear life. Foul! Screamed the Gryffindors. Madam Hooch spoke angrily to Flint and ordered a free shot at the goalposts for Gryffindor. But in all the confusion, of course, the golden snitch had disappeared from the sight again. Down in the stand, Dean Thomas was yelling, "Send them off, ref! Red card!" What are you talking about, Dean? Said Ron. Red card? Said Dean furiously. In soccer, you get shown the red card and you're out of the game. But this isn't soccer, Dean. Ron reminded him. Hagrid, however, was on Dean's side. They ought to change the rules. Flint could knock Harry out of the air. Lee Jordan was finding it difficult not to take sides. So after that obvious and disgusting bit of cheating, <laughs> it's so good. And when Harry's Limbus Two Thousand lost control, Hagrid was like, "Can't have!" But nothing interfered with the broomstick except the powerful dark magic. No kid could do that to a Limbus Two Thousand. At these words, Hermione seized Hagrid's binoculars, but instead of looking up at Harry, she started looking frantically at the crowd. "What are you doing?" moaned Ron, gray-faced. "I knew it!" Hermione gasped. "Snape, look!" Ron grabbed the binoculars. Snape was in the middle of the stands opposite them. He had his eyes fixed on Harry and was muttering nonstop under his breath. "He's doing something, jinxing the broom," said Hermione. "What should we do?" Leave it to me. Before Ron could say another word, Hermione had disappeared. Ron turned the binoculars back on Harry. His broom was vibrating so hard it was almost impossible for him to hang on much longer. The whole crowd was on its feet, watching, terrified. 
as the Weasleys flew up to try and pull Harry safely onto one of their brooms. But it was no good. Every time they got near him, the broom would jump higher still. They dropped lower and circled beneath him, obviously hoping to catch him if he fell. Max Flint seized the quiffle and scored five times without anyone noticing. Come on, Hermione, run, muttered desperately. Hermione had fought her way across the sand where Snape stood and was now racing along the rail behind him. She didn't even stop to say sorry as she knocked Professor Crow headfirst into the rail in front, reaching Snape. She crouched down pulled out her wand and whispered a few well-chosen words. Bright blue flames shot from her wand onto the hem of Snape's robes. You see, every time they do some little magic in the beginning of the book, while they're just chilling, and it will come in handy later in the fight. Remember the Liviosa and now the little blue flame. Well thought. And it took perhaps 30 seconds for Snape to realize that he was on fire. A sudden yelp told her she had done her job. Scooping the fire off him into a little jar in her pocket, she scrambled back along the road. Uh, Snape would never know what had happened. It was enough. Up in the air, Harry was suddenly able to clamber back onto his broom. Neville. Oh, this is very sweet. Neville, you can look. Ron said Neville had been sobbing into Hagrid's jacket for the last five minutes because he was worried. Harry was speeding towards the ground and now the crowd saw him clap his hand to his mouth as though he was about to be sick. He had the field on all fours, coughed, and something gold fell into his hand. I've got a snitch, he shouted, waving it above his head, and the game ended in complete confusion. He didn't catch it. He nearly swallowed it.